Charles, here comes that supercilious ass again. Would you please change your radio? Oh, gang, George, you're glad to see you. <laughs> you have no idea how deep and warm the satisfaction is to see your smiling vapid face. I mean, uh, to see your smiling upturned faces out there. Look at them there. <laughs> That's a little party slip there. You'll just have to excuse me for a minute here. Oh, no, that's a sad story. Oh, no, no. Not Phil Foster. There's nothing sacred. Would you please... Uh, Bring me a, a salute to another great American player. Hooray, 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 hooray for the U.S. of A. Thank you, Martin. Thank you. Thank you. Reset that. We may need that. We'd like to salute the great American characters. It's a well-established fact among we deep thinkers that life provides far more indelible characters than fiction ever does. I mean, you know, Ahab's nothing compared to this one. For example, uh, well, you, 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 have to, you have to consult life to see them, though, now, one little aspect of life. Of course, th this country that we're living in today has got the uh, galloping confessional syndrome going full blast. Everybody's, you know, crowding up to the platform to attempt to confess. I mean, whether it be international crimes, whether it be basic, simple rottenness, or whatever it might be, you know, we're fantastically involved in confessing. And one of the things about this it brings out, of course, is a spate of columns in the paper where people can, you know, confess in front of all the rest of the readers, the subscribers to the morning journal Bugle Sentinel, and they can confess to their deepest rottenness. Uh, this another way of saying that that's where Abby's bag is. You know, dear Abby of dear fame, dear Abby fame. Did you read this groovy one? I, I love to read. These are, you know, little bits culled out of real life. Now, if I were to write a one-act play, and uh, one-act play entitled The Embryo, I could see it now. It's a great play, see? The Embryo. And uh, it uh, shows this, it opens up, see? in this uh, very, you know, very uh, upper-middle-class ad man-type pad. And uh, he's got the, you know, tremendous bookshelves. He's got this beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, hood fireplace. You know, elegant place, you know. I'm talking about a groovy place, not, not a crummy joint. And uh, he shows up, the, uh, you know, the, the hero shows up in the first uh, moment. He comes out on the stage and he goes in. He's just home from work, see. And you see the bar sitting over there by the bookshelves. Now, you being, you know, typical uh, theater-going type, you, you understand, of course, uh, what he's going to do. He goes over and makes a drink. This is a stage convention. And there are certain stage conventions we never, we never question. If there's a telephone on the stage, you know, within the first ten minutes, the phone will ring. It's a stage convention. Just once, I'd like to see a stage guy, a guy write a play with a phone sitting there, and all through the play, it never rings. <laughs> People, you know, by the end of the third act, they're starting to get restless, you know, thinking somebody missed a cue somewhere, you know. But these are all stage conventions, 
And you know how that telephone rings, ah, ah, and the guy rushes over and he picks up the phone and he says, Hello, yes, this is Charles W. Vanderbilt III, yes. Yes, it is quite true. I have a brother that uh, is suffering from amnesia and was lost for two and a half years in the Peruvian jungle. Yes, you say this is... Uh... Oh, yes, of course. He did go to Andover Prep School. And uh, I am now worried about my wife, whether she will return. She is at a bridge game at her Aunt Agatha, you know, the one who uh, last year had the fist fight in Times Square. That's all called... Uh... That's all called uh, exposition. Now, if you ever try that, you know, at home sometime, you know, talk like a stage character on the phone. Uh, the phone rings, you know, you pick it up. Yes, this is Charles W. Schuyler Applerot, and I live at 1722 and a half Avenue D in the Bronx. Yes. Why, of course, yes. I've been suffering from amnesia for years. As a matter of fact, you know... <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, this is a stage convention. Now, here, you, you see the little scene, right? All right, bring up that spooky music. Little scene opens up. You have now entered the armpit theater for another exciting first night performance of a brilliant, hard-hitting, dynamic, undercutting the seeds of hypocrisy drama. All dramas lay bare the seeds of hypocrisy. Have you noticed that these days? And with ruthless, cutting, piercing pen show that man has composed mostly of foibles of hypocrisy. Everybody, that is, except the playwright and the actors who are involved, right? All right, bring it up big. That's part of our theatrical convention our world today. <laughs> hey, I like that. Hey, it tickles. Let's start from the top there, Marty. That was real good. Do it, do it again. See, that's what happens when you get involved with your stage props. You forget the play. <laughs> that is good, Marty. Bring it up big. George Aroni went right through the living room, didn't it? Look at that little bippy here. There. Woo! Oh, there it goes again. It broke again. Well, I knew it. All right, the, the play opens up, see, and up goes the curtain. You're sitting there, and it's called The Embryo by Jay Shepard, who has been suggested many times for Pulitzer Prize. Hard-hitting playwright who rips aside the chicanery of the underbelly of his rotten society. Man walks in, stage center, and he is wearing a Brooks Brothers suit. We automatically know that he is false, fake, phony, and, uh, you know, full of canal water. Obviously, he's wearing a Brooks Brothers suit, and he's got short hair. Can't be honest. We know that he's covering up for many problems. He walks in, he unbuttons his shirt collar. The audience sits forward waiting to show once again that it too is aware of the hypocrisy and the chicanery of the rest of the world. That is, those who believe in Julie Andrews. Bring it up. Big. Big, 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 big. Oh, that's a big one. Hello, baby. Quit yelling in my ear, will you? Well, he walks over to the bar and he opens up the top of it's one of these beautiful, uh, you know, dry sink type early American bars with a big copper thing in the business and all. He opens it up. He reaches in. What is he going to take out of there, you expect, of course? He's going to take out a bottle of scotch, which shows he's part of the other generation. Hence, totally disreputable, sneaky, with no morals at all. Instead, he reaches into this dry sink and he takes out... 
The audience rocks for a moment. He takes out a quart of milk. A quart of milk? He is very carefully filling a one-liter baby's bottle. <laughs> he looks furtively from one side to the other. The background music rises. The insane screams of the banshees out of hell itself. Walter Kerr has already left. But Michael Smith of The Voice loves it. He loves it. He knows they're going to show that Mother caused it any minute now. And with that, he fits to the top of the baby bottle a standard A&P version baby nipple. And he sits down and opens up his Wall Street Journal and begins to suck away. The curtain goes down. End of the first one and a half minute drama. Okay? Now you think that would be the theater, the absurd, wouldn't you, friends? All right, now, a little sneaky music. Let us read to your dear Abby. Dear Abby, by Abigail Van Buren, I read, Dear Abby, a while back, a grown man wrote in saying he liked to chew on rubber objects as it relaxed him. Well, then someone caught him chewing on a rubber duck, and he was embarrassed. Well, tell him not to be ashamed, as my husband is the best in the world, and he has a similar peculiarity. When our daughter was... A baby, I found her pacifier in our bed. Well, I thought it had dropped out of her mouth while she was in our bed, but later I found the pacifier in the drawer of our nightstand table, and I couldn't for the life of me figure out how it got there. Well, then one morning I woke up early, and I saw my husband sound asleep with the pacifier in his mouth. <laughs> we had a good laugh over it. <laughs> George, Charles, and I just laughed over it. And that evening, when I fixed the baby's bottle, I jokingly asked him if he wanted a bottle, too. He said yes. <laughs> so I fixed him one, for he loved it. So I kept on fixing a bottle right along with the babies every night. Well, I took the baby off the bottle when she was 14 months old. But my husband still has one every night, and he is now 37. This has been going on now for 17 years. Please don't use our name, as my husband is well known here. He works on the space program. Thank you. Happy wife. <laughs> Would you please, Martin, please? Just thought you ought to know there's a lot of things under the sun out there, friends. You may not know about it. Hey, no, don't put that away. We, no, we mean to use that a little bit later there. Any minute now, they'll have to attack with tear gas. And, uh, you know, you never want to... You're going to scare them away. You have a shaman here. You never know when the monster is going to attack. Who's going to sit in the White House for the next four years? Richard Nixon? Edward Muskie? Teddy Kennedy? George Wallace? Hmm? Nobody knows. But the question of who will occupy the White House may well be decided between September 30th and October 2nd of this year. Three short days. 
The only time teenagers can register for the primary will be from September 30th through October 2nd. And you 18 to 21-year-olds are not registering, which means you won't be able to vote. And the influence you could bring to bear on who lives in the White House won't happen. What a shame. The 18 to 21-year-olds can swing this election either way. Teenage registration days are September 30th through October 2nd. Three days that can shake the world. Hey, listen, uh, speaking of... Uh, you know, I can't get the image out of my mind of this guy every night. You know, his wife fixes him that bottle. But I, I like the guy that chewed on a rubber duck. Personally. I mean, uh, <laughs> the guy sat there, you know. Every night he sits there and chews on a rubber duck. Which uh, somehow, uh, well, you know, it, it, it has more style than if it was a rubber rabbit or a little football or something. The idea of chewing on a rubber duck is something that's intrinsic. Some animals are intrinsically funny anyway. And others are just intrinsically dull. Do a rubber duck spot. I could do that. Yes, indeed. Oh, listen, the rubber ducks. In fact, I know there's a song out now about how groovy a rubber duck is. You ever hear that song? No, 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 no. There's, there's deep, deep, uh, very deep. Uh, I can't quite figure out why, but there's a very deep, sinister meanings to the idea of a rubber duck. Mm. Now we all secretly dig rubber ducks. You notice nobody seems to get excited over uh, rubber chickens. That even a rubber duck. Important. Now, now, why is it the duck is a intrinsically funny, improbable animal? And you could conceivably see a rubber duck walking around and accept it. That's why Donald... No, had Donald Duck been a turkey, he wouldn't have made it. He was a duck. I'm serious. There are certain animals that intrinsically are funny, and, and over, the, over the years, they have always popped up as folk animals. Among them, ducks, mice, continually, pigs, continually. And nobody, you know, nobody gets all excited over, uh, you know, a rubber gerbil. That reminds me, this is W.O.R., New York. All fury and no sound. I mean, also, no, no, that's not quite right. That's a quote there. Uh, you can't even imagine. Oh, listen, I'll tell you a funny one the other day. I was visiting these people. Uh, I, some people are so unbelievably innocent, and there's a lot of humor that's drifting around that is humor, really, in a sense, at the expense of the, inno at the, at the, expense of the innocent. The innocent is innocent, and I say to the, I say to you, I believe that that there is. Well, it's hard to say whether a man is innocent or naive, but uh, the innocent will remain innocent to the last days of their life. They will. There's no way for the innocent not to be. The others are constantly amazed at them. I know some people who are in most. Reformers, for example, real dynamic, are basically lifelong innocent people. They really genuinely are. They, they really believe that one day it can all be straightened out. This is, a, this is a fantastically innocent belief. It's not idealistic. It's innocent. And, uh, and so uh, I, 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 I've come to believe that the innocent are the innocent. Now, I'm not saying that the others are the cynical, which is what you probably assume. I'm saying, no, the others are just the others. They're just the others. There's the, there's the innocent, and then there are the others. And then there's another small group of incorrigibles that are the cynics. You know, the kind that says, all politicians are crooks, 
I don't care what you say, they're all crooks. Well, all right, he will never change either. Just as the guy who always says, man is basically a beautiful creature. Children are all born beautiful. It is only society that destroys them and makes them evil. This is a man, of course, who is, you know, he's a basic innocent. He really, really, you know, he really is. So the other day, I had a very interesting experience. I'm, I'm out visiting. <laughs> I don't know whether I should tell you this story or not. See, I've had a checkered life. All right, I'll tell it to you for what it's worth. Maybe a lot of you got them in your own house. So I'm visiting these nice people who live in this beautiful suburb. You know, it's got trees and birds and it's got a brook. And, uh, yeah, and it's even clean. It's got little frogs in it and stuff, see. And, and uh, you know, it's got little children. they got four little elfin kids that run around and, you know, go to things like nursery schools and go to camps. They're called work-oriented creative camps. You know, that's a new scene, you know. A kid, it must be a drag being a kid these days. You can't just go and go to a camp and mess around. You have to go to a camp. You notice the, the, the spate of kid camps? that are advertised in the New York Times now, every camp has to have a reason, like uh, lose weight. There's a camp for kids to go and lose weight. Can you imagine some poor little slob being sent to this camp? <laughs> for, for, for three months, he's in Camp Hokey Finoki someplace, see? And they've got him on a 1,200-calorie diet, and he can't get out. And every time he runs out, you know, they send him, <laughs> get back to that rye crisp. Oh, gee whiz. Well, that's the... That's the that's the new trend that puritanical, puritanical mores is taking. See, a lot of people are very open about sex, but very puritanical about other things. Uh, yes, has it occurred to you that people that are insanely on diets and that look upon any kind of extra weight as being somehow gross are fighting against one of the seven deadly sins, gluttony, just as much as people of an earlier generation fought against sexual ex excesses, they're fighting against their own. See, so you see all these camps. It says, uh, wouldn't you like to have your child learn the value of work in the field? Yes, the little kibitz in the, in the glen will teach him how to work with his fellow men and how to spend eight hours a day struggling. And you hear, yeah, you can see scenes of this poor little guy out in the field, you know, and, and this overseer is walking past, and this little kid, you know, is... is is planting the corn, and a whole bunch of other poor little victims from the Bronx are going around. <laughs> this guy says, get moving! We've got to plant 400, 400 acres, acres before nightfall! Crack! And the little kid is learning reality, see, while the old man is sitting around in town, you know, slopping up the martinis, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> the old man probably hasn't worked a day since he was three, but uh, that's, uh, the, you know, the whole thing about the camp today seems to be that they have to have a, an uplifting reason, whether it be lose weight, gain weight, uh, learn to get along with your fellow men, learn how to be racially unbiased, all of it. No, no camp advertise. Hey, it's a groovy camp. If you want to catch frogs, kids, and run around and yell and holler and throw rocks at insulators, and if you want to float on your back in the water and fish for sunfish, no, that camp is dead. <laughs> That's just fun, see? And we basically are anti-fun in our country. Uh, and and the more the more people are you know the more uh, the the crusader uh, is the more he's anti fun now uh, but that's another story nevertheless this uh, problem you know of, of the camp scene is is always with us you know this business of trying to get people straight and get them get them moving on a stick well I <laughs> shtick if you like that 
But that, nevertheless, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm sitting around here and I'm thinking about this, and, and uh, I'm thinking of a you know, poor, poor little kid being sent off to, to uh, you know, to, uh, to pack potatoes into sacks, and his old lady's paying forty dollars a day for him to do this. See, and I think, well, this is uh, you know, this is uh, another one of the examples of our inhumanity to kids. No, nobody ever says, nobody ever asks a kid, you know, hey, uh, 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 hey, uh, Myron. Uh, would you like to go to uh, Camp uh, Lose a Calorie, huh? Uh, which is an Indian name, of course, meaning that you're going to be on a diet of rye crisp and uh, and non-sweetened peaches for the next four and a half months, and you'll spend a lot of time doing push-ups. Would you like to do that? Dead silence. Kid is shipped off. So uh, this... <laughs> I, 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 I don't know whether any, any of you have seen this this trend, uh, but it's it's very strong trend. And it's a, it's all part of the uplift problem that we've got going. It's galloping strong, and so the uh, the, the the concept of animals as basically human and funny creatures enters into this. Oddly enough, you will find that many camps will take as the you know as their name they'll take an animal, and uh, they'll have it on their they'll have it on their T-shirt, you know, and they'll call their uh, their barracks the ducks, or one will be called the eagles. Uh, you know, one would be called the the rats, uh, <laughs> another would be called the boll weevils, and uh, certain animals get bad press. Uh, they, they they definitely do. It doesn't make any difference whether they deserve it or not. But there's certain animals have bad, like snakes, invariably get bad press. Uh, you hardly ever hear anybody singing a song about how groovy snakes are, but uh, nevertheless, uh, you know, a snake, he's his turn will come. I say that uh, that uh, there will be an organization formed, and ultimately, any time you make a bad remark about a rattler, you're going to get the people are going to be picketing and yelling and you know throwing stuff at your windows and stuff. So you get used to this kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> well, you don't really get used to it. You finally accept it, and so ultimately, you find on all sides of you, it's beginning to rise like a rising, a tremendous chorus, like a chorus of like like uh, Beethoven's Ninth. It is rising. The, the, the shrill cries of the embattled are on all sides, everywhere. And, uh, in fact, I imagine within the next couple of years, there will be camps that will be devoted to that, too. Because, you know, a lot of people are just basically slothful when it comes to being involved. And so I can see the, the, in the next couple of years, a camp advertised. Do you have a kid that doesn't give a damn for demonstrations? Do you have a kid that is going to... The, sophomore class at NYU, and he hasn't come home yet carrying a button. Well, camp involved will get him involved in many issues. It'll give him basic practical training in how to organize and how to take part in meaningful dialogue with his elders for the change, for the betterment of all. Yes, and it will also teach him the judicious use of violence how and when to use violence so as to achieve the most proper and the bettering effect for all of mankind. Yes, Camp Bamakop is now standing ready to take new, new children in to get them involved in the meaningful issues of our day. Don't be saddled with a do-nothing kid. <laughs> Thank you. That was very good, Marty. <laughs> uh, you know, but... Uh, I don't know how I got on that subject. It's a silly subject. Very silly. When I think back, that you know, the camp I went to one time. I tell you about the. Did I ever tell you about Camp Beaver? I went to Camp Beaver, 
Yeah, yeah, we had a beaver. I didn't actually have a beaver there. They had beavers on all our T-shirts. And uh, it was a... <laughs> that's right, that beaver's on the T-shirts. And no, well, you know, it was Camp Beaver, that's all. Could have been Camp Jackdaw or Camp uh, Blue Heron or something, but ours was Camp Beaver. Now, I don't know why people, you know, involve themselves with beavers. First of all, a beaver is a very un... totally unsociable animal. They, they're not cute, really, basically. And, uh, no, they aren't. No, did you ever see a beaver uh, in, in action? Hmm. All right, they get big and they get mean. They're not, uh, you know, they're not, uh, of course, we always used to sing the beaver song when we would get up in the morning, which was a total drag. And uh, they would sing, you know, I, I remember basically the, the, uh, the, uh, the melody was, was, you know, the melody that goes, Scouting friendships strong and deep. La ta ti ti ti. You know the tone? You don't know that, huh? Well, I wasn't singing it good. Actually, it was Beethoven's seventh. It was the Largo movement. And uh, so, uh, nevertheless, every morning we would all we would all get out. You know, we had these tents, and each each beaver was called a dam, a beaver dam. You lived in Beaver Dam Number Six, or Beaver Dam Number Five. And even at that age, you know, this is, uh, again, it's, you know, talk about the innocence, you see. There were kids who bought the beaver scene, and then there were the rest of us. And uh, we used to spell damn differently from the way they spelled it when we were, you know, right? And that guy used to say, and of course, that takes me back to the old innocent problem again. Uh, believe me, there are guys, when they raise their hand to pledge allegiance to anything, actually do. Then there's the rest of us who never did learn our school song. I never did. I used to fake it. We'd get up in the auditorium session. They would sing, See, I still don't know it. Victory purple is our yoo-hoo. That's all I know. That's why I've never really cared for yoo-hoo, because it contained that in that line. Very purple victory is our yoo-hoo. Silly song. Here we go. Wine, zwei, drei. Come on, don't chicken out. My God, the engineering department's falling out. I'm big. I'm playing with these guys.
tell you. <laughs> hey, hey, cut it out. Cut it out. The Barry Farber fan club is all there in the next room going, boo, boo, thumbs down. Boo, I'll boo you. But the... I, I suppose you know six and one half a dozen the other. You have to you have to take people for what they you know what they are. And I I was visiting these nice people in the in the uh, suburbs. You thought I wasn't going to get around to it. Well, I'll tell you, it's a, well, it was such it's such a sickening scene. See, see, I, my problem is when you're when you're not one of the innocents, you keep feeling like you're rotten. You keep feeling like you're saying bad stuff. You know, <laughs> you're bringing up things you shouldn't bring up. So I'm sitting in this house with these people. And the, the 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 mother, you know, she's really a lot. She she reminds me of Gidget. You remember the Gidget movies? You remember that? If you can imagine Gidget with four kids, uh, she's sort of a cross between uh, Flossie, the fun-loving Bobsy, and uh, the younger Doris Day, with just a little touch of Anne Margaret, and maybe a little of the early Debbie Reynolds. And so we're we're there, you know. We're I'm sitting around, and I, you, you have to kind of look for things to say. See, so. The kids are all playing. There's four most fantastic-looking kids. You know, they look like they all come one out. You know, just stepped right out of one of these Heinz soup commercials. They're cute. You know, jumping up and down and making cute things and saying cute things. And they have cute little drawings all over the pumpkins and stuff. See, and uh, I'm sitting in the middle of this this uh, beautiful bucolic suburban scene. Well, one of the kids. He's playing, you know, a beautiful kid, about five, and he's jumping up and down. He's with his sister. She's about four, and they're jumping up, they're yelling and hollering. And they got millions of toys. The kids own every toy that's ever made, see. So these kids are yelling and hollering. Great kids. And one of them has this big plastic thing. See, now look at it. I said, it hit me. Little thing goes off, and Shepard's rotten, sick, crummy, totally experienced mind. In fact, you know, experience is a bad thing. It could be held against you. It's better not to, because, <laughs> you know, and so I look at that thing, I can't believe it, see? Well, being, a, you know, a total fool, I blurted it out. I said, hey, uh, I said, uh, hey, by George. Hey, that's, uh, <laughs> by George, or oh, can't be. With that, mother turns and says, what, what? I said, well, that, uh, <laughs> that thing that the little Jaime's got there, it's uh, great, <laughs> Hey, where'd you get that? And she says, "What do you mean? What's what you mean? You don't you, you don't know what that is?" She says, "No, got got that down at the, you know, down at the Great Eastern or something. You know, one of those suburban stores. Hey, one of the kids' stores." I realized that I was the only one in the room who realized that this kid had a tremendous six inches across, absolutely detailed life-like, totally realistic scale model, but a big scale model, a blown-up model of a bed bug. They just thought it was a cute bug. I said, Hey, Julie, do you know what kind of a bug that is that he's playing with? She said, No, it's a bug, you know, it's a you know, just a plastic uh, bug. No, that's a bed bug. She says, a what? That's the total, that's the, that's the actual reaction of the totally innocency. First, a moment of complete, of uh, complete uh, surprise, then followed by a slight note of incredulity 
followed by the last note of how rotten you are and it can't be true. Like, uh, oh, come on. Don't say that in front of the kid. You know, that... I said, what? I said, just me. He's got a plastic bed bug. I think that's groovy. Where'd you get the plastic bed bug? Somebody's got a fantastic sense of humor. You bought a plastic bed bug. <laughs> Again, you see, this is... Only one person, I'm afraid, out of 422 million would recognize a bed bug in this uh, innocent world, see? Well, now she's really bugged, you know, if I may use that expression. She is. She turns to me and she says, oh, no, that's not true. Can't be. I said, but, well, I, you know, how can I tell her how I know? See, I can't tell her that, you know, I, I've, I've known bed bugs intimately, you know. And I, I, I said to her, well, it is. I said, now that it's out in the open, it is, because all the kids are now amazed. They're jumping around, hey, Mommy, what's a bed bug? Mommy, Mommy, you know. Oh, I said, oh, no, Shepard's done it again. The kids are fascinated, see. And she is dumbfounded. She's never seen one in her life. Well, I said, all right, now that it's out in the open, you know, I might as well tell you, you know. I said, all right. I said, it is. It's a bed bug. I know a bed bug. And she says, but it can't be. I said, well, I'm sorry it is. I said, no. She still didn't believe it. See, the totally innocent refuses to believe. Even when you finally try it out a bed bug, they won't believe it. See, so I said, it is a bed bug. That's a plastic bed bug, and it's a beautiful model. In fact, that's a problem. That, that looks more like a bed bug than many bed bugs I've known. That, that, that is a definitive bed bug. You know? I mean, it's a beautiful bed bug. And what's more, it's a great big yellow bed bug, and I think that's a great idea. Somebody had a tremendous idea, you know, of building a, you know, turning out as a toy a plastic bed bug. That's a great idea. And I'm flipping. I said, I want to get one, see. She says, that can't be. And I said, well, hey, well, I said, you got an encyclopedia here? She said, yes. And then um, you could see the fear in the eye. See, nothing is worse than the fear of an innocent who suspects that this rotten cynic could very well be right. So the kids by this time are all excited. They want to see it, see? So they rush out and they bring back their book of knowledge or some book, you know. I don't know, no, they won't even list bed bugs in that book. So, <laughs> so I said, okay, give me, the, give me the encyclopedia. And here I'm sitting in the middle of this beautiful scene, see? And I felt, oh, Shepard, why do you have to know these things? Why? Merv Griffin probably wouldn't recognize a bed bug if he saw one. I'm sure that Dick Cavett wouldn't. He probably thinks a bed bug is a guy that sleeps a lot. Huh? Says, why do you have to know all this junk? And intimately. With that, we, you know, I take the book and I go through, and there is this picture. You know, it says, bed bug. Beautiful. Now, the guy that made this bed bug, this plastic bed bug, must have made it from that drawing. <laughs> Even included the, you know, the lines. And we're all sitting there looking at this thing, seeing the kids are saying, you know, the kids are jumping up. One great thing about kids, they think that's great. You know, it's like if you give a kid a plastic cockroach, he's going to flip. It's only his mother that's going to faint. And so the kids all, you know, they're jumping up and down. They love it. Hey, Daddy! And Daddy comes in. Hey, Daddy! Did you know that we've got a plastic bed bug? Daddy's face gets purple. <laughs> a what? He says, oh, no. Well, we went through the whole same scene then. 
And there I sat. I felt like, you know, I felt like I was Iago. I mean, you know, you know what Iago is? You know who is it, Iago? Oh, yeah, he's the guy that kept coming over next to, you know, this old general, saying he kept saying, hey, listen, Dad, you think that chick is with you? Oh, man, is she making it big with the palace ghost? Oh, well, you know, when you, when you have, when you're Iago, how does Iago feel about this? Now, you know, we see, you know, we see the, we see, uh, Desdemona, you know, we see this general. Yeah. You know, Iago could have been right. In fact, I'm thinking of writing a play based on, you know, <laughs> viewed from the standpoint of Iago. We always think of him as an evil, you know, real rotten. Oh, no, he could have known a lot about Desdemona that uh, Shakespeare was never telling you. He could have known her in school, for example. So there I was, Iago, sitting in the middle of the breakfast nook. Well, a couple of weeks go by. I come back out there. That's right. They ate no bed bug. There's just a lot of rubber ducks sitting around that are plainly rubber ducks. <laughs> so you know, you can't you can't you know, innocence is a is a is a is a deadly weapon. And uh, it can ultimately get us all. Oh yes. Deliver me from the innocent. I don't know who it was who said that. I think that might have been uh, who was it who said that? Uh geez, that was Roger Maris, I believe, wasn't it? The nineteen sixty one season when he was discussing milk gross of the post? No. Uh no, that was somebody else. No, no. He said uh no no in Liberty, there is truth. That's what he said. You know how Maris was. He was always saying in enigmatic things like that. Speaking of enigmatic, <laughs> he was. Oh, yes. He was. Uh, yeah, well, he even said one to me one time. Did you hear about that, Jerry? The enigmatic thing that Roger Maris said to me. He says, do you always hit to right? I said, yep. That was all there was to it. He went back to chewing his gum. Well, not every guy's had, you know head-to-head talks with Roger Maris about your batting, not his, yours. That's different. <laughs> and so, yeah, when, when you've had these experiences uh, happen to you one after the other, you begin to question many things. Well, now, like the other day, I'm down at 23rd Street Station, and I see somebody has scrawled, you know, the usual graffiti you see down there. It says, uh, Lindsay, where's a tube? I didn't want to hear that. You know, I had a, I had an almost. Uh, I don't know whether he does or not. I just saw that on the on the side of this uh, this big uh, beam down there. Somebody wrote it in chalk. See, well, I had an insane desire to rush over and erase it. And I thought, well, you know, who am I to censor other people? I mean, you know, I don't want to be the censor. Let them say it. You know. Yeah. So what I did, I I just you know went up stairs there at 23rd Street, and I stood around. I had one of these big, uh, I had one of these big New York uh, pretzels, and by the way, you can buy them now, uh, you notice on 23rd Street, and the 34th especially, they're selling them with dipped in chocolate, you know, nothing like a pretzel with chocolate on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, don't, 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 don't accuse me. I'm merely reporting. I am here to report. I am not here to create. As, as uh, Walter Cronkite says, I do not create the news. I own a report that probably many of you have bought and are now harboring in your little kitty's bedroom a plastic bed bug. I did not create it. 
<laughs> well, it uh, looks like uh, it's like that terrible cartoon I saw the other day of the uh, of uh, Wiley Coyote. You know who Wiley Coyote is? You know who Wiley Coyote is? He's the one that's always chasing the red run. You know the road runner that runs around all comes with beep beep. You know the road runner. And I saw this terrible cartoon of Wiley Coyote. He's got the road runner by the neck. That's it. That's the end of the ball game for the road runner. He's got him by the neck, and he says, I'll beep, beep you. That isn't exactly what he said. I've cleaned it up a bit for, you know, for public consumption, but uh, he says, beep, beep my... Mm-hmm. That was, uh, again, that was censored. I censored it myself. I'm curious. So, uh... I I uh, I don't know, you know. I I I just wonder about the how, uh, how many. Is there anybody out there who's an innocent? Let's hear from one innocent. I'd like to hear one innocent. You know, we've only got a couple of minutes. I just want to hear from an innocent, and I'd like to know how it feels. I mean, do you feel a certain way? Does it hurt? Uh, you know, or the, does it itch any place? I'd just like to hear from an innocent, a genuine, true innocent. And by the way, I'll be able to tell instantly by the sound of your voice whether you are. And it, 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 uh, of course, this is a self-defeating query we're making here, because anyone who would be listening to me is obviously not innocent, right? That's <laughs> uh, true. <laughs> Bring it up there. <laughs> Sometimes I think Dorian Gray got bad press too, just like the crocodiles and the snakes. And it was all loaded. <laughs> Poor Iago. Yeah, you know. I, I, no, I, I relate to Wiley Coyote. I, I'm glad that he caught that crummy little roadrunner at last. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't relate to Snoopy either. I just never have. In fact, I don't relate to much in that. I think that cartoon is beloved of the innocents everywhere. You know. But uh, that's another story. And incidentally, that will appear next semester. However, that's beyond the scope of the current course. For those of you who are wondering about it, I'm sure that many of you do, and. Uh, uh, the, oh, uh, for the sake of, uh, you know, the peace of mind for you out there. It's interesting. We haven't received a single call from one innocent, which kind of makes me feel good. Either our telephone operator is watching uh, Gunsmoke, she's not allowing anything through, or else everybody's being honest tonight, which is what I doubt totally. <laughs> Certainly do. But uh, for the sake of uh, the peace of mind that I'm sure that you're all searching Anything that was heard on tonight's show will not be on the Blue Book examination at the end of the semester. This was a more or less uh, al fresco or au naturel or, uh, you know, just playing it for jazz. We'd like, to, uh, we'd like to thank the New York Times book critic, Christopher Lehman Haupt, tonight for additional notes and addenda. We would like to thank the New York Historical Society for all the assistance they've given us in the research on tonight's effort. We would also like to thank uh, the late uh, Somerset Maugham, without whose aid and constant succor we would never have been able to achieve what we have. <laughs>